and this is the kind of forecast that people make and then we'll look back in three years and I'll like look like a total moron. But I think that was that would be the answer you would need you would need. You need to answer this question of how big is that market and where is Shopify in terms of capturing it. If you get that brand identity to be I have a I want to start a business, where do I go? I go to Shopify. And they get to the point where they don't need to market that or whatever else. Welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment stories from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes successful analysis work. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. Today, we're visiting the Shopify battleground to see whether the company's growth justifies its share price. First, some background and a disclosure. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors around the world share their investment ideas and analysis. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any stocks discussed. Nothing on here should be taken as investment advice. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and subscribe to Behind the Idea on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Today's topic, Shopify has all the right buzzwords, cloud-based, e-commerce, platform, and it's aiming to provide the infrastructure for smaller companies to sell on the web. The stock has been a big winner over the course of its public career, but has come into the crosshairs of short sellers. We take our most recent long idea, most recent short idea published on Seeking Alpha about Shopify as a starting point to figure out what bulls and bears are saying and whether Shopify's business will grow into its valuation. Today's theme is the right pattern Amazon 2.0 or dot-com bubble 2.0. Mike pre-recorded a quick intro for Shopify, which will cue in with this sound. Shopify is basically a platform through which small businesses can reach and serve customers online and at the point of sale. So let's say Daniel here wants to start selling crocheted potholders online. He can go to Shopify to get a cool website like crochetedpotholders.net, and then Shopify can provide him with an online store to help build out online sales channels like Facebook and Instagram. His customers can buy the potholders using Shopify's transaction platform. When it's time to ship the potholders, you can do bulk orders and print the labels using Shopify's software and relationships with companies like DHL and UPS. Basically, it's a way for small businesses to get online easily. Shopify is based in Ottawa, Canada. The company was founded in 2004 as 4261607 Canada Limited, but then underwent several reincorporations and name changes arriving at Shopify in 2011. The founders wanted to open an online snowboarding store, but found the market to be difficult to navigate, so they created their own solution. By 2014, the company was host to 120,000 online retailers. It IPO'd in April 2015 under ticker symbol SHOP. Later that year, Amazon said it would shut down its Amazon web store for merchants and instead partner with Shopify. Since then, it's embarked on a series of partnerships and acquisitions. The stock has gone from $25 and change at IPO to 168-ish today, and is essentially at an all-time high with a market cap of $17.75 billion. It's expensive by any fundamental metric. Negative PE, negative EB EBITDA, 23 times price to sales, that's double Facebook sales valuation, but it sports a 57% gross margin and roughly 70% revenue growth. And the Q1 annual run rate revenue was about $856 million per year. The company also has $1.58 billion in cash. 
Mike, what do you what do you have to say about Shopify? What's the business model? Good. I, uh, I've been holding you in suspense, Daniel, because I have I've had a personal relationship, so to speak, with Shopify that dates back to my time in business school at UC San Diego. Go Tritons! In the MBA program at UCSD, they have entrepreneurship focus, and the Capstone Project is about starting your own new venture, and it should be a venture ideally that can scale and can attract venture capital funding. And this is normal at business schools nowadays, and it wasn't that unusual at the time, but the final project is a presentation to a bunch of venture capitalists in the area pitching the business case. And when I started this project, we were focused on launching a competitor to Shopify specifically. What interests me about that, other than that I was involved, is that at UCSD, there were several different sort of clicks. And one of the clicks was the surfer click. And I hung out with the surfer click a lot. And my buddy Barrett was in that group. And he got the idea to challenge Spotify, not Spotify, Shopify. He got the idea to challenge Shopify because like the founders of Shopify, he wanted to start an action sports retailing business that he called actionsportbiz.com. And, uh, right and uh, he wanted to sell, basically do fulfillment via local retailers of surfboards and skateboards and stuff, but have a website that people could go to so that they could patronize and support their local shops, which are really important to the you know, skate and surf community, but still find stuff online. He tried to create this website and then get the fulfillment going through Shopify, but he found the experience so like harrowing and difficult and Shopify sort of tried to crowd him out of developing this business model that he made our entrepreneurship project into basically unseating Shopify from its early move into the merchant support e-commerce environment. Barrett's a surfer and a skater. He goes, he gives the investor presentation and he shows the hockey stick graph at the end. He winds up pitching this to these VCs that the peak valuation is going to be like $20 million. <laughs> and they all go like, you have a good idea here, but like, why are you aiming so low with your, with your ending valuation? And he goes, guys, I just want to retire. Like, <laughs> I'll accept my $5 million and go quietly. Like, I'm fine. I think this is a good idea, but I'm just looking to get out and just, like, go surfing. Why, why do I bring that up? I think it's good background because Shopify's founders are also action sports enthusiasts, and they also founded this company based on this frustration of getting order fulfillment done for small businesses and local businesses and local shops. And transferring that online is a pain point for a lot of people. But I think it's also interesting that this business model has seemed to attract this type of entrepreneur, a person who's more frustrated with something that they can't do for their own self, maybe more so than someone who's targeting a major world dominating business. And I don't know if there's evidence of that for Shopify itself and its management team. But I certainly think that that dynamic between whether this is a world-eating business model for merchant fulfillment or whether this is just sort of 
a business that's going to be okay, but probably is ultimately fairly competitive and difficult is key to the question here. So anyway, should I be more surprised that there is a surfer click at UCSD's business school or that the surfer click is not the entire UCSD business school cohort? The surfer clicks probably like for my class anyway, and this was years ago, this is, I graduated in 2013, but it's like usually about 20% of the classes is people who actively surf, I would say. Look, people go to business school to learn about business, mostly. <laughs> I went to business school to learn about business and to go surfing. And there, so there's some percentage of people who do that. And look, UCSD is an excellent school. And, you know, I'm a Rady School of Management graduate all the way down. Got a great education there. But you can't overlook the surfing in San Diego is so good. <laughs> Let me just right turn that into what we were going to talk about. It's interesting to me because we'll talk about but crazy valuation, crazy growth, and people are eager to say that we're always in a bubble. Like, there's always somebody who's going to be pointing to a bubble. And with the web, you always think about the dot-com bust. But this, you know, this is a real business. They're gaining some real competitive advantage. How big it is, we don't know. And the, the the pattern that we look at a lot of times is you see companies, I think Amazon is probably the best example, even though Google and Facebook obviously are companies that really made land grabs and really took over a given space. But it's just this thing about what's the right pattern to consider? Every company wants to say, yeah, we're going to, you don't have to worry about our margins. We'll eventually get there. We're making a play for you know, scaling up. And that's, uh, you listen to startup founders and they talk about the importance of speed and of scale and of just winning a space and then worry about your business model in terms of profitability or whatever else. They're, they're growing revenue fantastically, but they're also growing expenses a lot. And so I guess that's what's interesting. As they take this sort of magic thing and the land they're grabbing is this idea of, Rather than you having to do any work on your own to think about how to sell your surfboards or your snowboards or whatever else, we will just give you the ability to turn your your business into a web business at some cost, but significant savings of time. And so that's just, as we go into these bull and bear cases, I guess that's an interesting, a lot of times you can see the same story in a different lens, but that to me is the crux of the discussion here is whether this is something that will become a real business that will be a real winner and has enough of an addressable market and enough of a competitive advantage potential to build a real business, a profitable business, or is it something that's just going to be a fight to, for slender pickings and in the end, not much return? Yeah, I really want to get into that question specifically about Shopify being a kind of multi-sided platform. In business school, they taught us in between surf sessions that a multi-sided model is a really good growth model because if you are the sort of conduit through which buyers and sellers can meet each other, then you have informational advantages and it's a quick path to scale because you can be a platform that anyone can join on either side of the trade. Once you've built the platform, then you just make the spread for being the intermediary. Uh, but my concern is that 
that's not quite the same as a network effect. And so if this stock is priced for really astounding growth and sort of global domination in terms of the small business merchant market, what's weird about Shopify and this may be different from other, like a Facebook. In Facebook, you have a network effect because the more people who are on Facebook, the better the information and social environment is. But is that true of Shopify? The more merchants you have on Shopify, the incremental improvement to the network isn't that great because from the customer's perspective, it doesn't really matter to me. If I want to buy a snowboard and they have a merchant is hosted by Shopify, then that's fine. But it doesn't matter to me whether someone who's selling pom-pom hats or propeller beanies or some sort of unrelated good is on Shopify or not. So to me, I don't, I understand why being a multi-sided platform is an effective growth strategy for Shopify. But for me, I'm a little shakier on the sustainability of that advantage. And I think that gets into, maybe I'm getting a little ahead, but maybe that gets into kind of what the bull case is here. Yeah. Why don't we go over the bull case? Because I think, I think you're hitting on one of the core challenges to it. So let's go, I'll run, I'll try to condense the bull cases. We have a few different authors. There are more authors who cover the bullish side. The bearish side is louder by the presence of Citron Research. But let's start with the bull case. We had an article by From Growth to Value is our most recent one. And their argument, they had written up the stock before. So they spent a little bit more time than probably necessary, basically saying this stock has made me a lot of money. But then gets a little bit more into the the core of the bull case, which is that this is a secular trend. Younger people are more likely to become entrepreneurs, are more likely to run side hustles, are more likely to monetize their business online and just try to develop something new. And Shopify is going to benefit from this as we're all starting to sell something. Shopify is how we're going to sell it. From Growth to Value explicitly says this is an may well be the next Amazon-like investment. I'm quoting, they say, all the signs are there, a social trend, constant innovation, users' comfort, facilitating people to make or save money, and a full integrated system. They then highlight a couple things about R&D investments, merchant revenue, but that's really the core of the their bull pieces. Let's play our favorite game, one of our favorite games, which is cyclical or secular. I think that's the core of this bull thesis, because I think that from growth to value is capturing an important theme here, and it's a believable theme. But I want to test this side hustle, entrepreneurship, new economy trend for cyclicality. And the reason is because I think we've seen echoes of this new job market forming at cyclical peaks in the past whether it was the stock market itself and day trading or starting a dot-com business in the web 1.0 bull market and bubble, or whether it was house flipping or the media boom that accompanied the real estate bubble. We've heard stories before that there's a new economy taking place. There's a new way of doing work. There's a new way of interacting with capitalism. And we've heard that often at times of peak employment, which is where we are today. 
And at times when the stock market is at all time highs, which we're close today. So I'll, I'll pose the question to you. I have some skepticism. My risk antennae are quivering a little bit. So yeah, the side hustle economy, new entrepreneur economy, is this secular, cyclical or secular? <laughs> I, I think I'm going to take the other side here. I, I don't know how much Shopify actually will own this trend. And I don't know, I don't find this a super compelling thesis for Shopify in and of itself, but I'm going to be naive because I think you're probably right in how you present, set this up. But to me, full employment would be the time when people weren't bothering with side hustles. And so unless you think that there's a lot of wage growth still left in the cycle that hasn't come in, that to me seems like it would be counter cyclical, actually. We don't know. I guess we don't know what the labor market really looks like, but we do know. All right, I'll accept at least that you're you're right that the trend of side hustles does some, seem to be something that has taken root, and there's evidence in our environment for why that's taking place. But I'm curious to hear how you think about this. It, it's not. I don't find it compelling in and of itself the fact that this exists to say that Shopify will benefit, but to me. The idea of more and more people seeing the web as a place to connect with potential customers rather than, I don't, I just think that's, to me, it, it does seem secular that I might use the web to acquire customers that way. Am I going to give Shopify that much business as a data point and as something you extrapolate from? I don't know. Am I going to give it to Shopify instead of to competitors or to, just setting up my own WordPress and installing a plugin to take payments. I don't know. That that to me is where I would have liked to spend more time thinking. Evidently, yes, based on their revenue. My key thing now and uh, sort of more, these are sort of additional ammo against the idea of this being a secular shift that's going to continue up into the right or at least it limits the impact, even if this is a secular shift into entrepreneurship. Specifically, when you're talking about goods businesses, you know, like your crocheted potholders or like even skateboards or surfboards or anything that's sort of a merchant goods retail business. I think one major concern is that these businesses are hard, even with the advantage of online fulfillment and the efficiencies that Shopify can provide and that the internet can provide. And a lot of people are going to churn out. This multi-sided platform is going to, there are only a small percentage of people who are going to sustainably remain long-term customers for Shopify as merchants because it's so hard, time-consuming, and painful to be a merchant of sort of just retail goods. It's super competitive. It's difficult. Even if this is a new type of economy that's enabled by the internet and social media, it's not clear to me that even with those advantages, you're going to... A lot of people are going to have trouble sustaining themselves and making a living doing this or even earning enough to make it worthwhile for it to be a side hustle or something part-time. So... To me, it's kind of there's like a cap on how how thriving this market for goods retailers and online fulfillment is going to be. I think it's going to be hard to 
generate real ramp-like growth once you hit a certain you get the early adopters in, they'll churn out, some more will come in, but I don't know if you can I don't know if you can build this out into capturing a wider market or how sustainable that customer base is, the merchant side of things. So Well and as you said that I I don't know that they actually report on churn at all. Citron Research has brought that up as one of the concerns, but yeah, that's a good point as far as how long it's great to add merchants, but how much of that revenue sustainable. I feel like I'm leaning bearish here and it's just fun to kind of pick at Shopify, but I want to do justice to from growth to value a little bit here. I do believe that online fulfillment and the facilitation of entrepreneurship and small businesses, as well as the forces where we are in the cycle now are enabling people to test this out in a way that's test out entrepreneurship, starting a business in ways that they haven't been able to maybe in the past. And some people are being forced into this side hustle type of activity because of the, you know, wage dynamics and so forth. So, but I do think that, you know, Shopify is in a position to capture that trend. I don't know how great that trend is, but there's, I would say that while I'm skeptical of the ceiling of the trend, I do think there's a floor. This market is real and, and Shopify does seem to be in a great position to capture it, at least at this point. And we'll get into maybe whether that's sustainable later. But I did want to, let's just do the bull case a little bit of justice. I think that it was a really good insight that Shopify is well positioned to capture and capitalize on this side hustle entrepreneurship trend. And a couple of other just quick things to the bull case are... Shopify partners with Amazon, as you mentioned in your summary, I believe they Amazon shut down its own sort of competing front. Let's back up a second. I also wanted to, I just want to challenge points today. I wanted to challenge your point about like Amazon. We said in the recap that Amazon like exited this market, but did Amazon really exit this market? You can still do all this stuff on Amazon. Let's be real. Right. No, right. They have third party they have so many third party merchants. I when I buy something on Amazon, it's like seems like it's usually not Amazon that's actually the seller most of the time. So it was nice that they put that on their Wikipedia page, but I'm not sure the risk is totally mitigated. Or two quick points that don't have to do with valuation. Merchant revenue is growing, which on the one hand seems transactional as compared to subscription revenue and sub- Recurring revenue subscription models are very sexy right now, but if you can get a lot of transactions to build, that's that may may be just as recurring and important. So that's one note that he cites, and that the margins are going higher, which was another save money, retire early is another author who covered this, and I believe they also highlighted those margins is climbing quite nicely. And then just everybody points to how much they're spending in R and D. I haven't seen enough analysis of what their return is on R&D from a quantitative or qualitative perspective, but good on them, I guess, for for trying to develop their product. And in theory, R&D is also one of those things where you could at some point limit that or stop growing that line at least and turn on more revenue. So if you trust how they're accounting for that, they were investing in their business, which is positive. Do you yeah. want to take the bear, bear case now that you're... 
you're you're kind of feeling that. I'm, yeah, I've gotten into like the bear bear groove a little on this one, which is I I try and stay balanced through the podcast, but for I, whatever reason. So yeah, there there have been several bear cases lobbed at Shopify. It's easy. Their price to sales ratio is twice that of Facebook. I don't think that there's anywhere near the level of that it's it's way harder to justify that multiple just based on their earnings and their EBITDA being negative, you know, revenues growing. And that's basically the revenue and the gross margins to me are the two anchors of the story. We'll get into valuation in a little bit, but we've already sort of made problematic the business model case. You know, I said right up top that I like the multi-sided platform, especially if you're trying to start a growth venture because it has great scale advantages and the opportunity to create a moat. But I think one thing that we need to be concerned about when we look at a company like Shopify is they've built this platform that facilitates all sort of different mechanics around conduct of a small business. Do we really, and I said earlier that I'm skeptical of the network effect advantages of this platform because there's fewer synergies among the businesses being together on the platform, in my opinion. I also think that that this is a, a model that's vulnerable to competition. What do you see as their vulnerability? I don't see them as being particularly unique. I don't think that payment processing is an extremely unique business. There's Venmo, there's the Cash App. You can send and receive money through all sorts of mechanisms. The cash side of the business is not particularly well protected, I don't think. Customer service, customer relationship management is across a fragmented customer base like merchants and small retailers. I'm not sure that there's much room. I think switching costs are relatively low. And they could you know, always switch over to Salesforce or whatever it is. Same with data management. All these backend solutions are, and you know, Squarespace hosts websites. None of this stuff and the packaging of all these things together is some benefit end to end that a merchant can just come and get a full suite of opportunities. The packaging fulfillment, I don't know, but five years ago, Shopify was not great at fulfillment. Maybe they got better at that, but who's in fulfillment? Amazon. So to me, if you if you break out all the different sort of services that Shopify provides, it's not clear to me that they even go together as one single business. And it's also not clear to me that you're very well protected. I think that there are competitors in each phase of the merchant services cycle. And that would concern me. I think that, and I also think that it's just software and it's not very complicated. I mean, it's complicated, but when you're in the same room as Google and Amazon and Facebook, it's not complicated. It's stuff. These are problems that people have been solving since Web 1.0. That's my argument. Let me bounce back. So rational investing is the author with the most recent short idea. And the sort of crux of their dance is what you're getting at, is that really there's just not a lot that they're doing competitively. The quote is, as Shopify currently has no major moat, its business has low barriers of entry and its only competitive advantage is scale, right? So that's, I think, more or less what you're arguing. And I think there's more that we can unpack there that I'm interested about, but I don't want to spend too much time on it yet. 
the other thing that came up is Citron Research argues there's an over-reliance on Facebook, which, again, sort of alludes to your point. They say that there's a, potentially some misleading stuff. We talked with the Carousel guys about ad fraud last week, and it sounds like it's some more sort of, you don't really know who's clicking on what or what's really happening online. And so I, I'd be curious for your thoughts on that. But then also within there, the company is still growing revenue Revenue grew to 73% last year. They're probably going to beat their numbers this year. So I guess what I want to pose to you before we get into sort of our takes on the actual prospects of the business and whether it's long or short or something else, given you've got the Citron case, you've got your competitive argument that rational investing makes, what then explains Shopify's continued boom time, as it would seem? Well, there is the wave. You could explain part of it by the wave of side hustling and online merchant and growing market. You know, I agreed with the bull case that, yeah, like as, as a surfer, I'm going to reach for that metaphor as quickly as possible. They're just riding this wave of a, tr- of a true, whether it's cyclical or secular, there is this tailwind of people becoming more interested in having online relationships with customers, starting businesses that are basically order fulfillment or retailing that takes place online. And Shopify is positioned for that. That would explain the growth. But as I said, churn is a meaningful risk there. Yeah, I think this is where this is the question that that you would want to answer if you really wanted to have a definitive response to whether Shopify's revenue growth is sustainable or where it's going in the future. And the question that you want to answer is how many people who sustainably could participate in the retailing market, either from the customer or from the merchant side, have been blocked out by a barrier to entry that is effectively just the ease with which you can set up an online presence. In my opinion, the retailing and buying and selling goods is a relatively efficient overall market. That the gap there and the number of new participants who can sustainably enter this market relative to people who, or businesses who are already small retailers is small. This economy is not going to change that much, Shopify or no. I think that's basically the argument and that's the question. So the question is, how big is this market for new entrants into the retail game? New merchants, new entrepreneurs. And then I'll just layer on top of that, what's the average lifespan for these new merchants and this new business? And I think from there, you can model out how much of that market Shopify has already captured, how much of that market is going to remain participating over the next five years. And then through that analysis, you can come to, is the business model sustainable or not? And is the valuation justified or not? I just have a hard time, and maybe this is a failure of my own imagination about the kind of online merchant utopia we're about to enter. My feeling, and it's really just my feeling, is that it's not that big and not that sustainable a market. And this is the kind of forecast that people make, and then we'll look back in three years and I'll like look like a total moron. But I think that was that would be the answer you would need you would need. You need to answer this question of how big is that market and where is Shopify in terms of capturing it? If you get to the point where 
there's some resonance where Shopify equals how I get my stuff online, even if it's not the, because you know Facebook. I understand. I mean, I understand it's not one to one. I understand that Facebook has network effect. Google doesn't necessarily get you information better; it just presents it. But like, I, I get all these things. There, there's sort of a difference in the models. But in theory, if you get that brand identity to be, I have a, I want to start a business. Where do I go? I go to Shopify. And they get to the point where they don't need to market that or whatever else. In theory, maybe. I, I agree you need to do some market analysis. You need to figure out what their margin will look like. And is that really sustainable or can somebody just outspend them and win their customers? I don't know. But are there switching costs, all this sort of thing? But it, it, I'm just trying to kind of think through one more potential justification for this, for the run, for the revenue, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I think... Look, I have. That's just my intuition. I think that's the key question, though. Is and I think that's one that, at least in in these articles that we've looked at so far, we didn't really get to a definitive answer so much as we got to some projections about what could happen and what feels like is in a likely range. I I think that you know, as a tangent, I think Citron did a good job of sort of puncturing the enthusiasm, at least briefly. But I find the bear case less compelling that the fraud and the sort of marginal actors, or I guess fraud's the wrong word, the marginal actors on these platforms, and that includes Facebook, that feels to me like it's far dominated by authentic behavior. And that my take in reading Citron's report and reading things that say, you know, Shopify is taking advantage of people who don't really know how to do merchandising or has suspect customer bases or clicks or whatever else. I'm actually a bit, despite my overall bearishness or skepticism of the sustainability of the business model, I actually think those are things that you can clean up. And that would be, I'm not, I'm just not very persuaded that it's a fictitious business model through and through, or that there's nothing here. I just think that over the long term, I'm not sure whether it's a particularly high quality business at the end of the day. It's not fake, it's just not very good, is kind of where I would land. And again, if we did the market analysis and it turns out I'm wrong, then, then maybe I would flip to being bullish. Well, let's stop for now on the mar- on the business analysis and just look at the valuation for a second because I think that's also a fun part of this. Shopify, as you said, started at 25, now here on the top at 170 or so. It has, what did you say, double the price-to-sales metric of Facebook. It has negative EBIT, earnings before interest and tax. It has negative free cash flow in the trailing 12 months. Neither is a terrible cash burn number, but by negative, you can't actually value the firm that way. It has cash on the balance sheet. It re- I think it raised equity. It, it sold equity earlier this year, so I think it added cash on the balance sheet in the Q1. What do you think about the valuation? We, we have some, so rational investing is one of the bearish cases and has quite yeah. a offers a few different valuation scenarios for what the stock will be worth. One of those sensitivity analysis actually does in the line of what we talked about with Professor Jordan, 
there's actually a Excel sheet you can download and play with the numbers yourself if you want to. On the bullish side, you have save money, retire early. Provides a model that was originally a 10-year model. It's now a nine-year model because we're a year into it. That if you look at the model, at the end, we get to an earnings number that would tell you that the stock is trading for 11.7 times 2026 earnings, which is not the most demanding. I don't know. It's quite a long way out. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And so I guess, what do you think of the evaluation? How do you think people should consider valuation for a stock like this? Or or how much does that matter as compared to our business analysis? You know, you mentioned Demotora, and I think it's one of those where trailing 12 months or even a year or two out, earnings forecasts or cash flow forecasts are not going to get you to a buy decision almost no matter what you do, right? This is a business is going to burn cash or lose money. They're, they're in a growth mode right now, which means that it's sort of a misapplication of a value investing model to try and throw something like EV EBITDA at this company as it stands now. And then this is the part of the analysis where the Seth Klarman's and the Benjamin Grands of the world just walk away, I think. You're just done. It doesn't fit my model. It doesn't fit my strategy. I need a margin of safety. I need to understand. I need a reliable estimate of the future cash flows. And I don't think that you get that, especially in the near term. And then once you're, what do you say, 2023 earnings, once you're basing your multiple off something that's five years out, 26. Oh, Daniel just made the number six with his hand for our listeners. 2026. So eight years from now, and just for perspective, Shopify, six years ago, Facebook had just IPO'd and was not, people knew it was going to be something, but it was not proven to be the world beater, media, business killer, ad revenue capturer that it is. Some people believe that, but it was not priced for that. And it was just as tough to value. Why do I say that? Because the world is full of uncertainty. And it's really, this is the difficulty of growth investing. Your basis is so, shifts so much. If you're at 11 times 2026 earnings now, is this business going to be there in 2026? We have questions about that. So my initial reaction is just, I think I'm kind of in the walk away camp here. And that makes you miss things like Amazon or whatever else. But it's hard to, it's hard to point to a factor besides momentum that's really a high conviction driver of future share price appreciation from here. I can't, it doesn't fit my mental models for to be, to be gross and use Munger ism. It doesn't fit my mental, my mental Munger models. So I don't know. I don't know. It's sort of, a does not compute for me. What do you think, Daniel? Yeah. I, I think the valuation is crazy for me. I don't even, I would just repeat what you said. What I want to just share, and then we can go to our final takes here. Bert Hockfield is one of the bulls on the stock and the way he described it, which I think is helpful, especially for us value snobs to kind of look at growth is he writes in the venture capital world, a batting average of 20 or 30% is okay because one of those successes can appreciate tenfold or more. And that makes up for the misses and the also rams. 
in the public equity markets, the only way that I know of to have one of those 10 baggers is to buy and hold and not be fixated on valuation, which is a different approach. Does it work or not? I don't know, but kind of yeah. has to be playing a different game. Yeah, but I think maybe we need to add that game. I mean, we've talked about marijuana is has been a real trend, and you've been, some there are some smart investors who were able to capture astounding returns by making very very high risk, hundred percent downside investments, and a couple of those took off. And Bert's point is a good one. Venture capital investing is a model that you know. If, if your goal is to get rich, then you need to take shots. And I'm open to that framework, even though I think it's, it does not compute with Shopify. I've been trying to figure out how to add small bets on potentially enormous trends into my investment decision process. Because to be a little bit cynical about it, I'm not a purist about the intellectual angle of investing. I think that investment outcomes are right skewed and fat tailed. And, you know, if you're an individual investor and you're just trying to make up money quickly, then you should just give yourself shots at getting on that right tail. And that's it. You can be smart about it or you can be dumb about it. But the point is to make money on big returns. Get those, get on that right tail. Even if we're applying a model like that where we're saying, okay, look, we just want to sort of put ourselves in the stream of a giant trend and that's going to capitalize us further and it's going to bring us to retirement quickly. We'll be millionaires. We'll be the Barrett Fishers of the world that say, hey, $20 million valuation is good for me. Then I go surfing. Then we might need to have growth stocks in our playbook. But I'll come back specifically to Shopify. I don't know if the story is even that good. Even if you're going with the story, I'm not sure. I guess I have a long way to go. I guess I think there's room for this way of looking at investments. I just think that even if accepting that that's true, Shopify is not where I would go. So first of all, I don't think it's, I don't think you can take the credit of not being a purist about the intellectual side of investing and then use right skewed and fat tailed in the next sentence. Like that seems pretty. No, 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 no. I think this is actually important. This is a theme on FinTwit and it's a theme everywhere. And it's one that drives me bonkers. I think people have a belief in greatness in investing and in authenticity in investing. And I'm skeptical of that. I'm skeptical that you're, that you're, that people are smarter than the market. I think that people take shots and they end up somewhere on the distribution. And I think that's great. I think it's great that we live in a world where you, you can get these kinds of returns if you try. But I think it's an, actually, it's a, it's a personally to me important distinction. I think that a lot of people slow themselves down and hamper themselves by focusing too much on how good they are at this instead of on the opportunity set in front of everybody. So maybe that second level hipster done and I'm just, I'm just worse <laughs> by saying this, but I see it often enough and I, it, it feels destructive to me. It's subversive of authentic conversations and authentic sharing of information that I need to call it out and say, look, I, there are so few people who, who genuinely are, have edge and are great. I think a lot of people are lucky and I think we should operate under those assumptions, which I, 
are more easily, you know, they're more, it's just true, in my opinion. What do you think about the short case then? It's clear, I, I can, I know what you think about the long case. What do you think about the short case? Stay away, probably. <laughs> I mean, why would you short this thing? The market's believing the story, right? So at this stage in the game, the stock has just gone. I mean, look at that ramp. The market believes in the gross margin, which is 70%, right? 60s, 70s. The gross margins on this business are huge and the revenue growth is huge. And I can see why that's enough for the market. It doesn't make sense to me. I think that you can't, it's hard to model out a scenario where the valuation makes sense. But what edge do I have on the market there? I think I just don't know. If it's just, I just don't know, then I wouldn't get out in front of this one as a short. I think there isn't enough evidence, at least you'd have to go and find it. The Citron is the most aggressive story and it's kind of, we talked about not, it's a story that seems survivable. So unless we found something that was more, more compelling in terms of difficulties, from a credibility, from a management credibility standpoint, or from an accounting standard standpoint, that would raise real concerns and make the market rethink the story. I don't think that there's any meaningful reason. The momentum factor is real, and the momentum on this stock is strong. So I, I it sounds boring, but I, I don't see this as a long or a, I do think it's a stay away. I just, I agree ultimately, but I wanted to kind of just look real quickly at sort of the arguments that are made. And what I think is interesting is I don't think you can call this a valuation. I, I think we've, we sort of agree that you can't short on just valuation. I played around with rational investments, Excel sheet, and it didn't take me too hard of a time to come up with something that I was reasonably satisfied with where I could say, okay, fine. Like it'll go, the stock will go up a hundred bucks and five years and it's still trading at kind of a crazy multiple, but like I can start to see numbers that make sense. So it's actually not, it's still probably crazy, but I can make the numbers work. The gross margins, by the way, just as you were saying, I checked are about 55, 57%, which is still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. So, so then you have to come up with what's going to change the story. I think you're right. And I think Citron tries to throw a few things. I think churn is really interesting. I agree with you that Sometimes when you're looking for, and I don't say this as, oh, Citron is trying to stir stuff up. I think they're trying to, they have a bias on the stock and they're trying to express that and to see what might affect the stock. But I do think sometimes that for, leads you to talking yourself into things that are maybe not going to happen. Sure, Facebook was in the news and so maybe this will clamp down. But so I like the, there's one other short thesis we published, which was by Rami Tarabusi, who is newer to Seeking Alpha. And he, his argument was really interesting because his argument was basically, look, it's not about Shopify. Shopify's marketing to all these, their clients are these small businesses. Are small businesses really going to take that big a share of e-commerce over time? And I thought that was a really interesting structural point. And then I sort of agree. I don't think that Shopify has a chance to make this huge land grab. I can do, I think, most of what Shopify offers by just getting WordPress and a plugin, a WooCommerce plugin or something. So I don't think that Shopify, they, they're reliant. They're basically the door to get you into Google, Facebook, and Amazon, which I can probably figure out how to get to those places. 
places. It still it still seems more of a bold case for those companies rather than Shopify. I would look at their marketing line. I wonder how much of their growth. I would start to be more bullish on Shopify if they could sustain serious revenue growth without serious sales and marketing growth. Because I think that would be to me when I was asking you, you know, like what about the revenue? I would I would probably counter by saying yeah, but they're spending as much on sales and marketing. So sure, you can convince people to come on board. Doesn't really mean you have it. So that yeah. that would be sort of where I, think, I fall here. Yeah. yeah, I think that last one, and honestly, someone should probably be investigating that specific dynamic more carefully because we've seen companies, especially platform businesses with strong revenue growth and high gross margins, they're driving the revenue growth through unsustainable marketing pitches. And I'm not saying that's happening with Shopify because I don't really, neither of us really, I think, encountered a great understanding of the customer relationship between Shopify and what drives the revenue. But it would be something to look at, especially if you're skeptical, and it would be an avenue into a short thesis that might wind up making sense. Okay, cool. So Shopify, we're not, we're not buying, we're not selling. We're not sure what we're doing with it. Actionsportbiz.com. <laughs> not, a, not, for, not an endorsement. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. I just go. You know, sometimes you do all your research, and at the end of all that research, you just go surfing, and that's oh, what fine. I'm just gonna go. Just gonna go surfing. I'm not riding the e-commerce wave. I'm riding the Atlantic Ocean waves now because I'm. <laughs> I think we can leave. I think we can leave. Are you ready? Stay along by. Let's go. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks.